Welcome to EG's Office Politics. I'm Piers Wayner. And I'm Mark Prisk. Mark, we're standing looking furtive in St James's Park, feeding the ducks like two Cold War spies. Mm. What's going on? Why have we met like this? Well, Pirozovsky, we are off to go and meet with Andy Street, who is an old friend of mine, but who is, more importantly, the mayor of the West Midlands, someone who is very much born and bred from that area, Mm. Um, and we're really looking again at, you know, what powers do they have, what opportunities does that region offer, but what are you hoping to find out? Well, I think the thing that I want to get get to grips with is, because he's come from um, a business background, Mm, so he was managing director of John Lewis, he was in charge of their store portfolio, that big expansion that they had. he only left that to do this role. He was business throughout. It's not as though he sort of segued into a political role and was something tedious, like a junior minister or something like that. But he, he's gone straight from there into an executive function. And he won the election in 2017. He won it again in 2021 with 50%, mm-hmm. just over 50%. Yep. The next election's in 24, yep, May 24. That's right. um, and it's kind of... I, I work out what his priorities are, what his his approach is, and what he sees as his role, what yeah. the role of the mayor is. Yes. I mean, I think it's an interesting time. They've just done a new deal with government, yeah. not just in terms of another pot of money, but also a different way that that money is going to work. So it'll be interesting to see how, what his take is on that. Yeah. Okay, well, let's go and see him. Welcome. Very good to see you uh, here today. Why should an investor or developer come to the West Midlands? I guess the people who should answer that are the investors who've just made the decisions. It's a great time to be uh, asking because we've just had the inward investment numbers Mm -hmm. and you might have seen that we had the best performance of any region, 48% up on last year across all sorts of sectors. And I think they choose two things really, which are the guts of your uh, answer. And the first is that they actually see talented people. That's the most important thing. And the second thing is they see brilliant R&D from our universities in some of the critical growth sectors. So when I was out in India at the end of last year on a big long trade mission, everywhere we went it was the same thing can you help us with our ideas and then have you got the people People to turn them into reality so connectivity comes third or fourth connectivity is there it's very much it's a very big strong suit for us but I don't think it is the actual breakthrough suit for us so if you look at one or two investments that have been over recent years the biggest one of all obviously HSBC they said the advent of HS2 was critical to their decision, definitely true. We've seen that with the BBC, their mm. new investment in Digbeth for a new headquarters. So yes, it's there, it's important. But I stand by what those I say, are the, those are the, the two. two for international investors, keep standing out. Yeah, and do you feel, given that historically, Birmingham certainly had a quite a weak record in terms of the skills of its young people, what's changed? Mm. And it's still changing, so no one is going to say we've done the job, certainly. Um, uh, But if you look at just one stat, proportion of our workforce qualified to level three, uh, it was only 38% a few years ago, about 15 years ago to be precise, and we're now over 57%. So actually we have made rapid progress 
in improving the skills and particularly the technical skills. And if you look at some of the growth areas, whether it be digital, whether it be advanced mm -hmm. engineering, we've really made sure our technical education in those areas is strong and you can see it then reflected in the workforce. And we've also invested in the institutions to do that. Obviously some brilliant, um, some brilliant uh, universities, Warwick really leading the way in that advanced engineering, mm -hmm. but also the new institutions like the Institute of Technology, the first one in the, in the country purpose built came to Dudley. If you look at the course content in our colleges in Wolverhampton, in Walsall, in Solihull, they're getting into some of these new areas. For example, we're training people there in the retrofitting skills. So we've tried to get the training into the areas where the advanced jobs are coming. One of your key powers, alongside commercial real estate, alongside skills and transport, is housing. Yeah. Now, a lot of people, uh, more so I think than ever has been the case uh, in the past, in real estate are very much focused on residential investment in all the different sectors, whether it's home ownership, rented, mm. uh, and obviously affordable and social housing. Again, historically, many of those boroughs in the West Midlands have had real difficulties with their housing stock. You've got a, an overarching role on this, but equally you clearly have to work with your local partners. Tell us the story about how those skilled people who are going to work for those investors coming to the region Mm. How is housing changing? Yeah, so it's very interesting how you ask the question mark because it, it, the, it reflects uh, something I feel very strongly about this job. Uh, you're right, it's not an individual silo on its own. Housing is one of the things that actually helps investors make their decision. They say to us, you know, where are our people going to live? Is mm. the quality of life good enough? Is the green space good enough? Is the education good enough? So you're absolutely right. All the different elements come together in the economic plan. Uh, but in terms of straight to your question on housing, uh, there are still challenges with the housing stock of some local yep. authorities. We've seen that. I'm not putting that anyway away. But what is really positive in the West Midlands at the moment is we are building the total number of homes that the government requires through the national housing targets and we're surpassing those targets and right. I think we are the only region in the country to be achieving that. Okay. The second really promising thing is that actually we're building them overwhelmingly on brownfield sites. So we've really worked hard with each of our local authorities, very pro-growth, that's probably one of the other big differences mm -hmm. you don't hear about, nimbyism from our local authorities frankly, but that's because they're regenerating brownfield sites, all of them. And then the third element is we're really concentrating on the proportion that is affordable, and we've not shouted about this that much, but any scheme the WMCA contributes to, we demand a 20% affordable rate, and we're actually achieving across our whole portfolio 33%. And right. you will know from your background that is pretty impressive compared to most authorities. Yes. And the reason we're achieving that is we're very clear, we never negotiate it down. So if you say you're not going to blink, lo and behold, it doesn't come to pass. Yep. So we've got total numbers, affordable proportion good, and predominantly on brownfield sites. And do you find a simple single target is uh, more pro more acceptable to the investor and the developer and the house builder? Because some areas have tried, you know, sort of thresholds and quite complex arrangements. And I'm, it, it, my impression is that they aren't working as well. The simplicity, or is it, or is it that, as you were describing it, that clarity at the start? This is the target. You, you either, we either say yes and you hit the target or we say no because you won't hit the target. Is it that clarity? So the clarity is hugely important, yeah. but you are right to imply as well. There's always negotiation as well. We've got some schemes that are achieving substantially more than that, yep. some that are just on it. But the point I can be clear on is we never compromise on the target itself. And I do think that is really powerful. We just yeah. had a, an example which uh, 
I think is very illustrative of this and the developer concerned would be very willing to corroborate this. The regeneration of Coventry City Centre, oh, yes. uh, just coming with Coventry City City Centre South, huge scheme, um, uh, just about to break ground earlier this year uh, and uh, it was agreed without an affordable housing uh, proportion. Uh, but for our cash, and we're putting in £98 million, pounds, that's a rec- thing of public record already, mm-hmm. uh, we have demanded that 20% affordable. We've got that, and all credit to Hill, the developer, mm-hmm. alongside um, uh, Shearer Property Group, it's now being achieved. So the clarity of purpose does shift things. Yeah, and I think, do you find that um, there's as much interest now in the private rented sector alongside home ownership, alongside affordable? Are you finding there's a mixed approach or is there still a rigidity in the sector that it, listeners to this podcast need to think it's about? It's a very interesting question as well. Uh, the answer is the, the different, el- different tenure types. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we have not done well enough on the social. I said we're doing well on affordable, mm-hmm. but on pure social, social we've not yes. done well enough. But if you look at BTR, that's very, very uh, lively. Certainly in the Birmingham city centre market where that tends to be focused. And that makes sense if you think of all the social trends about young people wanting to live and work very close to where they were in, mm. in one area the 15-minute city as it's talk actually happening not owning cars the public transport being improved the build for sale is also relatively yes. strong in other parts of the conurbation so it's logical what's happening where yeah i can see that and do you feel i mean you've made a strong push on making sure you link the whole region together with trams and buses and public transport do you feel that um, you know makes a difference in terms of the way those schemes can be built? Yes. So uh, if I uh, think of um, a few examples to illustrate this, we see transport uh, infrastructure provision, and it's been done well in London. It then changes land values mm-hmm. so that schemes oh, yes. can come. Absolutely uh, categoric. And if I look at what's been proposed in Central Dudley disconnected from the uh, uh, main transport network and I call it out because Mm. no disrespect to anyone in Dudley it's not a fashionable city centre Mm. like Birmingham or Manchester but actually the advent of improved public transport is clearly driving housing schemes out in that town centre definitely and again in the black country the link between Walsall and Wolverhampton where we're aiming to reopen the railway is then bringing about a master plan for redevelopment at Willenhall and we'll see schemes coming there so the two go hand in glove and I can say this on this podcast is the purpose of podcast to uh, be a, a little bit more uh, general. I've learned this from Japan. You see how their public transport infrastructure is very much the focal point yes. of then housing investment, yes. and I think we can learn a lot from that. Yes, I think that's. I mean, it's an interesting example because more and more now we find that uh, people in the industry are looking globally at which urban models operate. So I think that's a very good example that you've just described because after all, you know, the, the West Midlands is what one of the largest economic regions. Um, so it's a big geography to, to bind together. Yeah. Um, I mean, the historically... And certainly opportunity areas isn't yes, it, in exactly. terms of development, in terms of investment, that you've got an enormous potential there. Uh, that's a lovely way of describing it. So, you know, whatever we say about the progress that's happened in the West Midlands, it is also true that if you stand back from the total, total economic performance, it's still well below where it needs to be. Mm. So it is definitely still an area of huge potential. How does that dictate your priorities when you're looking at, at transport, looking at, at skills, looking at housing, looking at commercial development and regeneration? Are you able to say, 
okay, first term it has to be this. This has to be the focus. That will then lead to that second term. We're assuming a third term. Uh, <laughs> will the be different there? How, what, do, do you see it like that? Is it, is it possible to, to look at it as, as a sort of a staged, phased approach, or do you have to be juggling plates the whole time? Um, yeah, it's a very interesting question because it sounds so logical that there was a, a, an overall uh, plan. I think <laughs> actually that isn't true. Um, I think uh, uh, it's a lot more about what market opportunities present mm. themselves. Having said that though, we have been re- one of the advantages of doing this job for six years with relatively stable councils as well uh, uh, and uh, certainly a very stable officer team in our housing area. Uh, is actually we have been really consistent. So some of the some of the big long-term change schemes, if stuck at it and stuck at it. I mean, a brilliant example that would be Longbridge, mm. on the south of Birmingham, uh, derelict for 15 years after the closure of MG uh, Rover on uh, the Westworks and the MG Works, now coming back to life as a mixed community. So that does take real consistency, and we have identified some of those really big transformational sites to achieve our numbers. But we're always looking for the market opportunity as well. And is that where you feel your role as mayor comes in? You talked about the, the Coventry yep. Uh, yep. scheme before. Um, that that ability to come in and say, actually, no, you, yes, you've agreed this, but you can't because you need to be doing this and looking at it more holistic. That was that was a specific example for Coventry. But I think the general point about this is that even though an individual local authority will have its planning schemes, mm. its local plan, and you know, I have never tried to interfere with that often some of the really big opportunities within it needs the combined authority to be working with the local authority actually to get them away. So if you look at the Arden Cross development in Solihull around the HS2 station, I mean that is a vast undertaking and the capital that's going to be needed on the infrastructure to enable that site that I'm sure the leader of Solihull Council would confirm this, that would probably be not something they would have done on their own, but working with the CA, they just have extra firepower, uh, particularly can leverage in government cash as well, and indeed some of the other schemes in the black countries and the big redevelopment sites, like um, one that just staggers me, Spark, as we now call it, was called Phoenix 10 in Warsaw, right by the M6 there, derelict for 30 years. How can that be in the centre of the conurbation derelict? And it's needed the cash that we've had, the firepower, working with Warsaw. They've been brilliant as the planning authority to get something of that scale back to use. So how do you see your role then fitting between the central government and the local government level. Yeah. How? What's what? What are the key facets of your role? Yeah. The coordination. So of? I think there's probably two things to call out here. First mm. of all, there is a cash piece. Uh, yes. So the housing deal that we struck with Sajid Javid back in 2018, and then has been topped up at various different stages, that probably would not be done between a local authority and central government. And because it would be piecemeal. Or exactly. Piecemeal. I, I just think it wouldn't have the, the scale to be. Uh, significant enough probably and then there's also a question of government has to have trust and confidence in the authority to whom it is devolving the cash so uh, that that cash has definitely enabled us to make things happen with local authorities that probably would not otherwise have happened and then the other piece of it is very much you might call it the coordination between different authorities and a number of the schemes that we're talking about are on what we call corridors between different places Walsall, Wolverhampton I've already mentioned Birmingham to San well, there's huge regeneration in that Smethwick corridor, and again, that takes a coordination. So it's cash and coordination, I would probably say. 
And actually, there's another thing. There is a bit actually about Asmere getting out and doing the inward investor meetings. And yeah, I do mm. see the actual CEOs leading some of these companies. And as I always say, I'm probably helping them write the first paragraph of their board report because yeah. what they want to know is the investment in this place is going to yield because the economic performance of the region, the quality of the labour, they get all of that can all add up. Well, that goes back to, to Mark's opening point about inward investment. Um, why did the investor? Why would an investor choose your area? How much do you think that's down to actually you? Um, I am merely the front man. That's all it is, uh, uh, and uh, uh, it's some of the fundamental points. The story needs telling. So mm. there is, there is. I'm being slightly underplaying my hand because <laughs> one of the roles of the mayor is to be the champion yeah. to go out and tell that story. And uh, yeah, it is me who goes and sits in the chairman's office for Tata about their investments here. It is me who goes and sits with the property developer in Hong Kong. So there is something about being the front man, but you have to have the structure behind it. And that's that soft power piece. Um, that's also the case with, with getting those deals with central government yes. and getting the investment from them. Yeah. How fundamental is that to, to what you need well, to do? Well, let's just be clear here that um, we all, everyone in politics gets obsessed with the public sector's investment in government, but um, we've just done our devolution deal with government, mm. uh, Trailblazer deal, brilliant as it was, we'll come to it in just a second, worth, Treasury officials say, a billion and a half. In one deal last year with LNG, we managed to get four billion pound agreed. Yeah. So there is something that everyone in politics has to remember. It's the private sector that has the cash. It is they that will make the property investments. Now the public sector has a huge role. It's why I'm such a believer in the investment zone, enterprise zone model, because mm-hmm. you create the stage on which the private sector then invests, uh, but you do not by your government is not going to make the property investments to uh, stimulate the economy on its own. It's the private sector. And do you feel, I mean, you, you, you said you underplay it. A lot of people who listen to this podcast would say that in their experience, the calibre of the civic leadership mm. when they're dealing with a regeneration programme is absolutely fundamental. And very often the, the difference between those areas that see regeneration schemes happening and those that do not, it comes down to... You mentioned the word confidence, but it's also the feeling that that local authority leadership team, yes, led by you as a regional mayor, but that the team is competent, they get the scale of what's being dealt with, and perhaps also, and maybe some listeners wouldn't necessarily put it this way, they feel that the other side of the table is strong enough to be an effective partner. Yeah, that's right. And actually, that's what they want, because the worst part scenario is where a developer feels mm. that actually the other side is out of its depth. Mm, yeah. Um, uh, do you think, one of the things I've sort of picked up from a number of folk is that there are too many small planning departments, and I appreciate that you work in partnership with your local mm. authorities. Is there an argument for having uh, a larger planning team? I've not seen it, if I'm honest, Mark. Okay. I'm comfortable that even some of the biggest investors can be serviced by the metropolitan authorities yes. who I deal with. Yes. Uh, but the underlying point you're making there about developers do deals with those in whom they have confidence is absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And often uh, the competence of the planning authority is part, but not all part of that. And without being indulgent about the West Midlands, the story of Manchester in the 2010s with Howard Bernstein is obviously the case study on this. They did far better than us because their uh, 
officer leadership was seen to be brilliant. Absolutely. And I mean, as, as both construction and housing and business minister, uh, that's three, not two, um, uh, you know, I worked with Howard and there's no question that Howard was there to get the job done. Yeah, absolutely. Had the confidence and therefore stuff happens. Yeah. And there's, it's that oddity, it's where I feel that actually... Um, we need to invest more in civic leadership Correct. in this country. But yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. But it is absolutely true. Yeah. Uh, but the officer cadre is really important to this, Mark, yes. as well. It's not just the political leadership, because actually a lot of the detail yes. it lies there. Yes, yeah. is the planning team on, on, on yeah, case. Absolutely. Does the, mm. the, the treasurer or the, the finance absolutely. team, do they you yeah. know, understand the, the, the balance of it? And yes. can they make their decision-making swiftly? Yes. Can they make no, the whole processes work swiftly? And, and how much of that is an issue of resource? How much of that is it, like literal resource? It, some of it's resource, of course, but it's also leadership. And I think yeah. the point we're making is that, uh, of course, lead, you know, resource is part of it, but it won't be sufficient on its own. It's yeah. actually about leadership and uh, yes. bravery to some extent. You mentioned silo thinking earlier. I think one of the arguments around this new devolution approach that we're starting to see from Michael Gove mm. and elsewhere is a realisation that lots of little pots are yes. do not... Yes. create the value yes. uh, and that therefore an integral part of this is to, to give you money and not to ring fence it endlessly. Um, how do you think that will make a difference yeah. to the business community in the yeah. West Midlands? Yeah, it's a fascinating question this because of course I became slightly unpopular with my own party uh, for the uh, the begging bowl quote. Yes. And, uh, I strongly agree. Well, and I, I stand by what I said. I don't know but it, but it illustrates the point that you know that all came out on the occasion of the quote unquote levelling up fund distribution, mm. which is 20 million for a roundabout here and 20 million yes, for right. a new swimming pool there. All worthy projects, but they ain't going to move the dial uh, together. And of course, just think about one other point. That was branded levelling up funding. What the government is investing in, in in HS2 dwarfs that hundreds of times over. That's levelling up funding. But yes. what do we do? We put a little label on something else. Uh, so there was just my, probably if I'm honest, my frustration that we could be doing far, far better as a party in telling that story. Uh, but anyway, that's history. But, but behind it is the really important point that the way we will achieve levelling up is by the different levers coming together in one overall coordinated plan, not the pepper potting. And I think that's what Michael Gove is absolutely on. Yeah. And his white paper, uh, I think for the first time, he had 12 sort of features of it, and he was right. The issues around crime are just as important as the yeah. issues around transport yeah. in terms of winning investment in a community. So it's that cohesive piece that he's trying to bring. And from a business point of view, what I hope we're getting to is that business investors, again, it's to your question, business investors want to see one person who can coordinate across mm. the piece. So you've had new powers given to you. Yes. What other powers would you in an ideal well, world like? Well, um, you might think it's an odd thing to say, first of all, Mark, because um, uh, I'm not sitting here hungry for 101 other powers at the moment. I think the government have actually been... Uh, quite reasonable, very reasonable with us actually, they've trusted us uh, and we've got to move to this single settlement in mm. the next spending review mm. which will be a real test yes. for us so actually there's part of me at the moment is saying we've now got to demonstrate that what we've been entrusted with we can make the most of because this is a journey and if we do that then there'll be more but the place that it does go to next is further fiscal devolution yeah. at the moment we are still saying to government 
uh, in the single settlement, which is much better than the pepper potting, yeah. uh, we'd like this cash. What really should happen is there should be more sort of incentive for us to do well and therefore keep the benefit of it. So whether it be airport passenger duty, vehicle excise duty, maybe a penny of VAT, may even be the upside of stamp duty. So you can see if we make our economy go, we would gain more income. And I think that is the next frontier. We've got the first example of it though. They have concluded that the business rate retention pilot, which you and your listeners will know about, Mm -hmm. which was a pilot, will be made permanent. And that's a uh, breakthrough actually, because it's the first example of this thinking. Yeah. And do you feel, and that is a very good example, that the next logical step is not so much about what government gives to you in grant terms, or how it gives that grant money, it's what powers you get in terms of raising your own yes. revenue. Yes, I do. In other words, it's about self-sufficiency. Correct, I do. And presumably business rates, you've mentioned the yeah. pilot, but business rates generally yeah. are going to be absolutely fundamental to this. Or, absolutely. Uh, so we are going to get the retention of okay. all the growth. So that's agreed. Yeah. But your, your, your point of principle, yes. Uh, now, let's be honest, we can't go raising VAT in the West Midlands against other places, but it's not beyond the wit of man to say, mm. as happens in every other country in the world, some of those taxes which are raised locally and currently paid into the Exchequer, you hold those in the region and we obviously don't then have the opportunity to ask the Exchequer for more. Yeah. Um, so that's the next frontier region. Mm. But, but I repeat what I say. This is this is this is very new to the UK. We've only been at this for six years, and you could probably say we've come further than we thought in six <laughs> years. So let's not be too Oliver-like about this. With your role, with the executive function of your yeah. role, do you feel that it was actually on where, where you came from, coming from John Lewis to here, uh, an easier fit for you coming from business? Oh, that's coming, totally, yeah. totally. Uh, I mean, As opposed to being a councillor, who's Mark was uh, an MP. I don't yeah. think you've been, unless I no, misremember no. <laughs> And I. Uh, I probably would never have been slated, but I never wanted to do it because I wasn't sure that compared to my executive career in business, I'd have been very good at it. Mm. Uh, but actually, I did want to do this. I really knew it straight away because this is, after all, an executive job. It's a leadership job. It's a it's a storytelling job. That's uh, uh, what we're doing now. It's what we do when we go and sit in a boardroom of an investor. And I think the skills I learned in business are more relevant to that. So, yes, and I hope that more people with my sort of background, loosely, not exactly the same, uh, might choose to do it, because I think we'd be stronger for it, actually, yeah. Yes, it's funny how um, actually a lot of people who come, very successful in business, come into Westminster, and I noticed amongst my own generation, then struggled, because actually Westminster is more about scrutiny of others' decisions Mm. rather than actually doing, and the nature of it is collegiate, and it's 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 a different culture. The political preferences that you've shown previously for example, backing Liz Truss um, and then um, looking at that economic picture. Is that something that you think there's still room for, to explore that, that it needs to be pushed a bit further? And is, is um, the West Midlands somewhere that you would like to, to try a few more of those ideas? Well, people bring up the Liz Truss thing very often, almost as a sort of piece of evidence of my lack of judgment. Um, uh, but let's just be clear what... Uh, attracted me to mm. this trust and let's be honest as well no point being anything other than this uh, the way in which it all was then delivered was extremely poor and I'm afraid the end became inevitable but there was something important in what she was saying about the only way that we can achieve the uh, standard of public services that we all love to enjoy in this country is by getting the top line growth of our 
economy going. And the only way you're going to do that is by uh, being, I would probably describe it as bolder in terms of the role of government in stimulating new business. Um, and we've seen that, haven't we, with Joe Biden um, from the quote unquote the other side of the political divide, um, uh, played out in huge measure. So there is something really important about which are the sectors of the future and how we're going to take a proactive approach to that uh, in order to drive the top line of the economy. We're trying to your question, are we learning from that? Mm. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say it's trustonomics, it certainly isn't, and that became horribly discredited. But we are trying to pick up that exact point. So our regional economic plan has something that we call the plan for growth, looks at our eight sectors where we've got a relative competitive advantage, and then also uh, and also then um, uh, where we've got uh, high growth potential. So areas where we're strong and areas where we've got good growth to come. And we are doubling down in those sectors. Areas like advanced manufacturing, of course, the whole electric vehicle revolution piece, uh, advanced logistics, which is obviously a key area for us, the med tech and health tech sectors, uh, of course, aerospace manufacturer as well, perhaps an unknown success of the West Midlands economy. But and you'll get the idea, these are all tech areas of yeah. course that's the sort of common bond and our tech sector if it can be described as such is the fastest growing in the uk at the moment so some of the principles behind what she was doing i totally endorse the way it then was delivered and it's complete yeah. failure to understand some of the optics around politics of course i don't endorse and just to give you a specific example of something she was talking about that's now been taken on by this government which i think is absolutely right and we mentioned it earlier is of course the investment zone piece yes. the idea that you could focus some of these sectors in specific places with the right public sector support uh, so which then clusters in uh, private sector investment so there was sense behind some of her diagnosis um, one of the, the big challenges for everywhere, and being you know the heart of the Industrial Revolution, mm. I guess, means that West Midlands is paramount in this. But the regulation is now coming forward, quite rightly, for making buildings, mm. uh, uh, if not net zero, certainly mm. decarbonising a lot of mm. uh, the existing stock, has huge ramifications. Huge. So... Um, yeah, I mean this is this is this is important um, and difficult territory. Yeah. So uh, the big picture here is, of course, that the West Midlands, like others, have declared their climate emergency. Have got their net zero. We've got a net zero target of 2041. It's not as soon as some, but it's still faster than the national government because we believe that is a viable area. We're making good progress on transport, making good progress on business, because of course the private sector invests there. But we're not making good enough progress on the existing housing stock. So this is our biggest question mark mm. over our net zero targets. So just to give you the numbers, uh, retrofitting, uh, average age of homes in the in the West is a little older than the national average, um, uh, and a, a large amount of fuel poverty given the economic situation and the housing stock. Uh, and our estimate is we need to retrofit 300,000 homes to get to our net zero target. Now we've got the cash mm -hmm. for doing 3,000 of them this winter, 44, mi 44 million. Yep. 
but you, I give you those two numbers because it's blindingly right. obvious. There is no way we can multiply 44 million by 100 times and think the public sector is going to pay for it. So how this is done yeah. is a yeah. huge challenge. I'd say to the industry as a whole, yes, we're proud of doing a little bit of piloting with some brilliant housing associations, some we've done ourselves, uh, won money from the government and the sustainable um, decarbonisation uh, funds, but it's not at the scale mm. to really cut this through. And the only way it will get to scale is that there is a public-private partnership fine and the financial institutions come to actually drive this. Mm. And I think from where I sit, there isn't yet an answer to that. And we would dearly like to say mm. we're open to business mm. for any banker, think tank or anyone else who can find us that returning model for the private sector in this area. It, it's a huge challenge for the residential sector and we'll come to the office sector yeah. as well in a moment, but um, certainly in residential terms. I mean, do you feel that uh, either renters or homeowners have the information yet from government about their options and choices? And do you feel the regulations are uh, nudging, shall we say, people sufficiently at the moment. There's been some feeling that it's all a bit woolly, it's all a bit unclear, it, you know, people know about heat pumps, but beyond that they're unclear as to how, what, what steps they should take. I don't know what feedback you're getting from renters and yeah. from your housing associations in your region. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, well, the legislation is very clear for new build, yes. but yes, it's quite. But I, I draw that out because the contrast between that and existing, existing. build is yeah, obvious. Uh, and when I talk to householders who've agreed to be part of retrofit trials, um, reflecting on your question, it's usually uh, they see it as quite a brave decision. They mm, see it quite. as um, they see it as something, yeah, they sort of oscillated on. Mm. So I think, to use your words, the nudge is yeah. quite weak, yes. actually. Yeah. Uh, so I hadn't really thought of it in exactly the way you describe. But I think if the question is, what feedback am I getting? Yeah. It's that the nudge could be much stronger, actually. Yes. It's requiring housing associations to pick their way through it. Very difficult. Uh, and because, of course, you get individuals saying yes, individuals saying no, so you don't get something yep. at scale and yes. all of those things. So I think probably you are right. Yes. There is an opportunity for more encouragement yes. here. I'm, I'm I always believe in nudges. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 it needs a good does it? Individuals have still got to make their decision, though, haven't they? Yep. And yeah, uh, that's, that's why I use that, yeah. that phrase. And there's no, uh, no one's going to be compelled. Yes. Uh, but what we're trying to do in this demonstrator that we're doing in place in Dudley called Brockmore is not just show the retrofitting of the home and do, do every part of retrofitting because it's got the PVs and it's got mm. the like everything, but also think about other elements of zero carbon in the area. So, what's the infrastructure for last mile solutions? What's the infrastructure for uh, walking? and cycling try to bring it together as a demonstrator and I think if we can do some of that the, the sort of evidence what's the word the picture of the future yes. will encourage people yeah so turning to offices um, oh yes I mean we you know we, we've looked at this and I think most people listening to this will know that there's yeah. a huge swathe some they say in West Midlands for example several hundred buildings yes which are currently uh, classified as offices but yes. they're in categories F or G of yes. the EPC mm. standards. They're never going to be, in reality, make the, the break, sorry, make the cut, as it were, mm. to be able to trade forward. So yeah. suddenly you, you could have a, and, and no one quite knows yet where they are, so yeah. are they concentrated, are they scattered, yeah. and so on. How, what thinking at this stage is going on in terms of managing this as a process? Mm. Because it's not just about the strategic plan, mm. but if in the middle of your 
Uh, mm. You know, a, a development area. You've got three or four 1960s mm. tired, mm. you know, buildings that are never going to be offices in five years' time. Their value today has plummeted on that basis. Mm. So they either lie idle or they're going to be repurposed. Now, that could be a great opportunity. But it's quite difficult, I think, for most individual boroughs to deal with this. I wonder, just from a regional point of view, whether this is one of those future challenges mm. that it you're going to start to look at. Yeah, so um, I'm not going to bluff you. We don't have an approach to it yet, but we do have lots of awareness and mm. early indications. So um, I'm slightly more optimistic than the question implies, though, because okay. we are definitely seeing top-end occupiers saying... We are not going to go to a new build. Oh, uh, interesting. We are going, because of the embedded carbon piece, yeah. mm, yes. we want to see a, a refurbished yeah. place. And uh, I can think of examples in this Birmingham city centre where uh, owners have now said, we are promoting this as a refurbished, uh, carbon-captured uh, place. Um, uh, so for exactly that reason. So I think as so often, we may actually see the market being pushed by what the occupier is prepared to do. Oh, that's but there are definitely examples where those choices are being made, both by the potential occupier and the landlord. Yeah. And perhaps finally, um, in your dotage in 20 years Which time, is coming already, yes. Um, when you look back, is there one thing that, and I appreciate that you have more years to go in front of you, hopefully. Yeah. Um, I can say that wearing a small blue rosette on my personal behalf, but um, yeah. uh, do you, what, what would you say is something you, you're most proud of, or you hope to be most proud of? Um, it's not one thing at all. Um, it's actually a way we've gone about things. Um, so the fact that the West Midlands at last is playing as a team mm -hmm. and uh, is confident, optimistic, um, some of the questions you've asked me reflect that. Uh, it's that underlying point that mm. I think has been the real change in the place. And please, we're not being naive. We've still got some ghastly statistics on outcomes, but there is a belief that we can do better and uh, that by working together we'll achieve that and I think that's quite an important underlying issue of confidence. Thank you very much for that. Thank you. Been a really I think I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Good. Yeah. Done. Got through a lot in yes. whatever it well, was, 40 minutes. Well, we're back with the ducks um, who have been fattened up on some pizza by the looks of things in our <laughs> absence. Um, it's not very healthy. Clinically obese ducks. Oh, I thought that was excellent. He's, yeah. he's quite an impressive chap, isn't oh, he? Oh, yes. He's, he's, a, he's a real live wire. I think the thing with Andy is he has a real passion for what he wants to do, but he's also got that practical skill, which, yeah. and I can say this, quite a lot of politicians don't have. They, they're great on the big picture, they're brilliant on the words, but what they're not good at, which Andy is, is actually knowing how to make an idea work in practice. I think that's why the business world like him. So, no, really interesting interview. And there's, there's refreshingly very little, well, no bullshit to it, is there? There's, no, there's no absolutely. Sort of bluster, there's yes, a, yeah. he has a very low bullshit threshold and, yeah. and, and good for that. You've been listening to EG's Office Politics and we'll see you again with another special guest. Yes, in another exotic location. <laughs>